0: This past week at Vacation Bible School, we took the kids on a safari through the nature of God, the kids of our church and our neighborhood. During this time, we explored the nature of who God is and why who God is, is important. And the week focused on five important things that teach us about the nature of God that we heard in the song this morning, that God is creator, God is provider, God is protector, God is redeemer, and God is king. And so, Pastor Carl and I thought that it would be helpful to go through a sermon series on these themes. Um, these five themes were chosen to teach little children, but the great things about the mysteries of God are that even though they're so simple that a child can understand them, they're so profound that we could do a sermon, an entire year-long sermon series on any one of them and still not delve to the depths of what they mean. So, Pastor Carl started off our series this morning with a sermon on the nature of God, focusing on the attributes of God that we confess in the Belgic Confession Article 1. And so for the next five evening services, we're going to be focusing on these five uh, themes that we started in VBS, starting with this evening, uh, with God as our provider. The story that the kids heard about God being our provider comes from the first book of Kings, chapter 17, first Kings 17. It's on page 555 of the Bibles in your pews or on page 343. And the, um, the text for this evening is verses, chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, but I'm going to start reading just before in chapter 16 um, so that we get a little bit of the context. As we approach God's word, let's come before him in prayer. O Lord, our God and our King, we thank you for the mysteries that you reveal in your word. We thank you that you send us your word to teach us how to live. We thank you that you send us your word to teach us about yourself. We thank you that you send us your word so that we can know what it is that you are and who it is that you are and why that matters. Lord, we pray as we read your word tonight that you would send your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, to open our minds, to fill us with your loving presence so that we may be transformed evermore into the likeness of your Son as we live holy lives in the world. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of 1 Kings, starting in chapter 16 at verse 29 In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all of the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hale of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and i have ordered the ravens to feed you there so he did what the lord had told him he went to the carath ravine east of the jordan and stayed there the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook this is the word of the lord Sisters and brothers, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the passage that we read for this evening, we're presented with a very straightforward story about God's providence. King Ahab, the king of Israel, has led the people of God astray. The king has taken a pagan wife, Jezebel, who convinces him to abandon the worship of the true God, the God of Israel, who in the Old Testament is called Yahweh. Ahab turns to the gods of the Canaanites to Baal, the storm god and the sun god, whom the Canaanites believed brought the rain and the sunshine that made the crops grow. And Asherah, the moon goddess and fertility goddess, who the Canaanites believed actually caused the crops to grow and sprout and produce a strong harvest. And the kingdom of Israel follows their king, worshiping the gods of the Canaanites and forgetting about Yahweh. Israel has new gods. But Elijah's name means, Yahweh is my God. God provides Elijah to speak out against the apostasy that plagues the kingdom of Israel. Elijah reminds the people of God's covenant with Abraham when God promised Abraham that Yahweh would be the God of his descendants and that they would be his people. Elijah reminds the king of Israel, he reminds Ahab, of the covenant that God made with his people all those years ago on Mount Sinai. When God gave his people the law and told them how to live holy lives so that he could dwell among them. And Elijah reminds them of the consequences of walking away from that covenant as well. Elijah reminds them of the curses that Joshua told them. That whoever rebuilt the city of Jericho would do so at the cost of his oldest and his youngest son, That if the people turned away from God, there would be drought in the land. That if the people ignored the word of God, they would be conquered by pagan nations and forced into exile. So in the face of these new gods, in the face of Baal, the god of rain, and Asherah, the goddess of harvest, Elijah tells Ahab that there will be drought in the land. That the skies will be shut up, not because of Baal, not because of Asherah, but because of Yahweh. The God of Israel is the true God, the only God. As we learned this morning from Pastor Carl, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There is no God in Israel but Yahweh. And Elijah reminds Ahab and all of Israel of this truth. But of course, as a result of this, Elijah's life is in danger. So God provides for Elijah as well. God provides for his people by providing a power and tangible reminder of the power of his word. And then he provides for Elijah as well, whose life is threatened by the apostasy of the people of Israel. So God gives Elijah a place to hide in the Kareth Ravine. And even though Elijah is hiding in the desert, God provides him with water from the brook and commands ravens to bring him meat and bread twice a day in the morning and in the evening. And it's interesting that God chooses ravens because according to Jewish purity laws, ravens are unclean. Ravens are carrion birds. They eat roadkill. They touch dead things. And on top of that, they're voracious and aggressive. There's a reason we call someone who eats everything in sight a ravenous person. So this story of ravens feeding Elijah is a real testament to God's providence. God provides for the nation of Israel by sending them a prophet to remind them of their covenant with him. And then God provides for his prophet by providing him with a place of refuge and providing him with water and food in the desert. It's a pretty straightforward story. But it gives us an opportunity to reflect more carefully on how God provides for all people. It's God who sends the rain and God who causes the crops to grow. The gods of the Canaanites, Baal and Asherah, have no power in the face of God's word. They're just statues. They don't have any ability to bring rain or to cause crops to grow. And when Israel turns to them and starts making sacrifices to them and sending their prayers up to them, God demonstrates his power by shutting up the heavens. In the Catechism Question and Answer that we read earlier this evening, we confessed that God upholds heaven and earth and all creatures with his almighty and ever-present power. God causes trees to grow grow and streams to flow, rain to fall and crops to flourish. God brings all things to us and watches over all creation with fatherly care. And this is not true for just Christians. It's true for all of creation. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches that our Heavenly Father causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God watches over the whole creation with care and love, bringing rain in its time and harvest in its time and governing the whole cycle of the seasons. In the Reformed tradition, we call this common grace, the normal kind of grace that's given to all living things and to all people on the face of the earth. The grace of sunshine and rain and harvest and family and peace. The Psalms especially send this message across rather strongly, and we're singing two songs today that come from the Psalms. Psalm 100, which we sang already, proclaims, "'Know that the Lord is God indeed. "'He formed us all without our aid. "'We are the flock He comes to feed, "'the sheep who by His hand were made.'" God forms us and gathers us and feeds us, and this is one of the ways that we come to know God and to learn about His nature. God is gracious and merciful because he provides for all of creation, even those who do not follow him, even those who actively reject him. Psalm 147, which we'll be singing after the sermon, makes God's providence in the creation even more explicit. With clouds, God fills the heavens. He sends the welcome rain. The slopes and hills are fertile with springing grass and grain. God feeds the beasts and ravens. Their needs are all supplied. He loves the meek who fear him but turns the proud aside. Just as God provided water and food for Elijah, he provides rain and harvest for all of creation, for all peoples across the face of the earth. God even provides for the beasts and the ravens, this psalm tells us. And this is a message that sits in stark contrast to the message of our culture, which often seems to tell us that there is not enough to go around and that we need to stake a claim on what is ours while there is still stuff for the taking. The powers and principalities that govern our culture, the Bales and Asherahs of today, tell us to get while the getting's good, that there isn't enough to go around. Supplies are limited, so hurry in, get what you can, take care of you and yours, and then, if there's enough left over, which there never is, well, if there's enough left over, then you'd better save for a rainy day. We have all sorts of idioms that reflect this consumeristic culture of scarcity in which we hoard and save and stock up far more than we could ever use while our neighbor sleeps in the street without dinner scripture on the other hand offers a narrative of abundance god is a generous god who causes the sun to rise on the wicked and the good who causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike god provides food and clothing and shelter for the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the lilies of the valley so how much more will he provide for you jesus teaches in matthew 6 i tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In the the face of a culture that says, get what you can while you can, God says, I will provide. In a culture that says you need to worry about your future, Scripture tells us who, by worrying, can add a single hour to their life. In a culture that measures the worth of people by their cost-benefit to society, God says, you are my precious child, created in my image. And this is why there's such a special concern in the Scriptures for the poor and the old and the young and the orphaned and the foreigner, because these are people who society at large tells us are a net drain on the economy. More babies means more costs. More elderly means more costs. More poverty means more costs. More orphans means more costs. More immigrants means more costs. And so, we need to protect what's ours. So abort the babies, euthanize the old, close the borders, build gates around your neighborhood to keep out the poor. We need to protect what's ours. But we in the church believe a different message. We believe in a God who gives abundantly and gives extravagantly. We believe in a God who pours out his blessings like the sun pours out light. A God who delivers on his promises like the clouds deliver rain. And so our behavior ought to reflect that. Our God gives abundantly and richly and so we ought to give abundantly and richly too. When the world says save, God says give. When the world says, hunker down, God says, go forth. When the world says, cut your losses, God says, care for the orphan and the widow, the poor and the foreigner. When the world says, they're not worth it, God sends his only son as a ransom for our sins. When God's people turn against him, he sends the prophet Elijah to stop up the clouds as a demonstration of his power. When God's prophet is threatened, he sends him into the desert and provides him with food and water. But eventually, God sends his prophet out again to bring rain and harvest back. God's God's judgment against his people does not last forever. And the rains come again. But even then, the people do not turn back to God. They continue in their idol worship. They continue to sacrifice to the Baals and the Asherahs. They continue to live in sin just like the rest of the world. God sends them into exile and takes them out of exile. And still, they continue their wicked ways. But God is a God who is faithful to his promises. God promised Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. And God makes good on that promise. Because through Abraham's descendants, God brought forth a savior to the nations the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God provides grace for all people through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Like Elijah at the brook, who was provided with water from the stream and bread from the ravens, God provided us with the living water and the bread of life. In our baptism, we are washed and cleansed of our sins. At the table of the Lord, we are provided with bread and wine, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which offers us a new covenant with God and continually reminds us of his care and providence by which he nourishes our very souls. God is faithful to his covenant. He is patient with those he has called. He is caring and merciful and generous with his forgiveness and grace, which is poured out like rain and shines on us like the sun. The forgiveness offered here by God signified and sealed in these covenant markers of God's grace remind us of the great debt that we owe God, a debt which was forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The grace of God is demonstrated in the cross of Christ. The power of God is demonstrated in his resurrection and these things together give us every reason to put our faith, our trust in God and God alone Knowing that God provides for us both through the common grace of creation and the special grace of the work of Jesus helps us to to understand what the Catechism teaches us in the next question and answer. The Catechism asks, How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? And the answer is that we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Things don't always go our way. The world is full of sin and evil, suffering and hardship, but because of the grace and mercy of God, we can have confidence that nothing Can separate us from His love. And as we heard this morning, this love of God is so high and broad and deep that we can't even completely understand or grasp it. The love of God expands beyond the borders of our imaginations, breaking the boxes that we try to put God in, overflowing beyond the walls of our churches into the communities around us. And we are sent out in this same spirit the spirit of overflowing, abundant love and grace that has no limit. We are sent out into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our city, into our world with the love of God that knows no limit, the love of God that forgives all our sins, the love of God that accepts us even when we fail. This is the God that we are asked to put our trust in, to put our faith in. We are sent out in the spirit of this abundant God, the giving and forgiving God, the providing God. We are sent out with this love of God and asked to show that love to the world, to shine that love in the darkness, to pour out that love in the desert. And we are able to do it without worry, without fear, without hesitation, because the God of heaven and earth calls us his own children and gives us water and food in the desert. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, our God and our King, we thank you and we praise you for the mysteries that you reveal in your word. We thank you that you provide for us through the common grace of creation and through the special grace that comes from your Son, Jesus Christ who poured out your love and grace in the form of water and blood from his side and offers us the same love and grace through the water of baptism and the bread and wine of communion. Lord, we pray that we would be filled with this love, that we would be filled with this grace, that we would be filled with your spirit so that we may go out into the world and live lives that are pleasing before you and that draw people to you Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all of these things and pray that you would be with us in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who forgives our sins.